0: We're well, welcoming in a first-time guest, Sahil, big 76ers fan. How's it going, man?
1: Pretty good. How about you, Riley?
0: I'm also doing pretty good uh, outside of my Chicago board. I feel everything else is going pretty well. Um, the, so I wanted to have you on to talk about a few things. The 76ers have sort of had kind of an interesting season. They had that bad start. Everyone was kind of pressing the panic button on them, and then – I feel like they really quietly had whited the ship, even without being healthy. Max, he had missed a lot of time, and Embiid had missed a handful of games. And I said with Steve, Steve last week that Embiid is kind of quietly leading the lead in points. I feel like I feel like no one is really talking about him. I don't know if you're a hoop collective guy, but when Horst was complaining about how low he was in the bomb time MVP to Poor. So, what kind of your take on Embiid and the uh, 76ers so far this year?
1: Yeah, I think I'll start with with the MVP straw poll because I saw that saw that too. Uh, I believe he was tenth in the straw poll. Um, I think at this point, Embiid has missed too many games to be considered a real MVP candidate. Um, and I think, frankly, from his demeanor, that. If last year wasn't the year, um, I I don't think Heath believes that he's gonna win it, which is I guess you could take spin it either way, right? Good or bad that he's not focusing on winning the MVP anymore. Um, with that being said, I I think it's hard to get a read on on the Sixers just because everyone's been hurt. Uh, Embiid's been hurt, Maxi's been hurt, Harden's been hurt, Tobias has been hurt. Uh, Melton has had back soreness lately. Um and I think it's hard to get a read. And but with with that being said, I guess um I think Embiid has really turned it on the past week. They're on a four-game winning streak. They play Toronto tonight. Um, and the issue really becomes is that the Sixers are really suffering from the fact that Doc Rivers is doing a five-man rotation each way. So they'll start five, they'll bring five in. Um, they don't really have any way of staggering, especially with Maxi out, uh, in like an appropriate manner. And the issue is that Embiid is so good that every time you the, the hot seat kind of turns up on Doc and he's on the verge of getting fired, or maybe at least some push for Sam Castle or David Yeager or whoever to kind of take a lead there. Embiid drops 50 and they win a game. And everything, everyone kind of forgets. Doc Rivers' faults all in, all because Embiid is going crazy on, on Mason Plumlee or whoever. Um, with that being said, I think Maxie being hurt is kind of a blessing in disguise for the Sixers, if only because it shows them that they are actually better off not starting Maxie and Harden together. It's a real defensive black hole of a backcourt. Um and they have options to start next to Harden. I think the best fit, obviously, is bringing De'Anthony Melton into the starting lineup, and then you start Harden, uh, Melton, PJ, Tobias, and Joel, and then you bring Maxi and Shake off the bench as you're starting backcourt and fill out the rest. Um, they really do need to make a move. I think for their backup center, Trez has been awful. Um, their their big acquisition for Trez or the big reason for their acquiring Trez was. They wanted to give Harden a lob threat, and it doesn't bode well when Harden is doing CBS Sports interviews or Fox Sports interviews and telling writers that the team doesn't have a lob threat. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's been a shaky start to the season. With that being said, to be in the fifth five-seat spot within a few games of home court advantage with all these guys missing time, I think you can't be super upset with where where they are right now.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like you said, the 76ers are right now the fifth seed. They are 16 and 12 right now. Yeah, they are only one one and a half game back of Brooklyn for the fourth seed. And Brooklyn, and kind of another team like the 76ers that started slow and are now picking up with a lot of speed. Um, You kind of mentioned the idea of bringing Maxi off the bench to kind of help with the defense. So mm-hmm. we can kind of focus so around the 76 and then be but I think it's kind of a larger question about channel than the NBA and general is. you see a lot of teams in the playoffs either go away from their channel or you see a lot of teams that stick with their channel down the stretch kind of get exposed by mm-hmm. better teams the do you think the it's possible to kind of build around a channel and get to the highest level and win a championship do you think you kind of the shadow kind of need to be the secondary guy? Do you think, at you have the white right defensive and offensive pieces around a draw and bead, for example, that the 76 to could break through? The, what kind of do you think about that? Do you think going small in the playoffs, that that's kind of how you have to do it? Or do you think you can still play with a beat or a or a bam and build around that guy and win a championship?
1: I think you can build around a center and win a championship. I I do think it's not the easiest route in terms of roster building to go that way. Um, I think we can look at two kind of different examples, right? Like we can look at Jokic who obviously great offensive center uh, will go down as probably the greatest offensive center ever, Um, but his defense is lacking. So then you struggle on the defensive end because at the root of it, your center is your most important defense position in in the inner lineup, right? Um, Regardless of if they're a stretch five or or a rim rim or post five, um, they are kind of the key to defense because you're expecting them to provide um, shot blocking and making things difficult at the rim. And if your center can't do that, it's kind of you either have to have plus defenders up and down the lineup to make up for it or uh, you need to be able to kind of scheme around it, maybe play a lot of zone. On the other hand, you have Gobert, who's maybe limited offensively. And I think that's easier to work around because you can turn a, a, a good defensive center into a lob threat or into a post player and surround him with shooters. Um, and then you kind of be kind of in the middle where he's Positive offensively and positive defensively, but maybe not to the point of either of those guys in on their own end. Um I think it's possible. I I think the Sixers have screwed up almost at every avenue you can imagine. Um first drafting Embiid, which again, uh, right pick, but then proceeding to take Simmons and uh and Julie for who are also both post-dominant centers or post-dominant players, sorry. Um, from a roster point of view, uh, and I and I fully understand Sam Hankey's point of view that Sixers were a bottom-feeding team, and there was no guarantee that Embiid would ever actually play a game, right? Like, you kind of have to just pretend that Embiid's never going to play a game. But at that point, uh, when you do realize the quality of player Embiid is, and, and you kind of could tell that the first 27 game season he had where he was it was clear the moment he stepped on the court, the Sixers were, I think, on this on pace for a 55-win team and then on pace for a twenty-two-win team without him. Um so when that happens, I think the Sixers just made the the wrong decisions there. Uh Julio obviously had his own off the court issues, so we can't really blame him for that. Then I think we we all say like from a fan point of view, like, oh, like well, Ben is doing this. Ben, we saw the workout videos and we got excited every year. But the sixers have better insight in terms of who he was better than anyone, right? Like they see him every day, he's in the facility every day. And for them to kind of just be like, oh, like Ben will figure it out, Ben will figure it out, Ben will figure it out, is a just negligent from a, a franchise building point of view. And then also just negligent in terms of you have an MVP caliber player and you're kind of force feeding him a guy who doesn't fit um, in terms of how else I screwed up like the Jimmy Butler trade was obviously a mistake choosing Ben over Jimmy was a mistake um, training for Tobias Harris was probably a mistake in, in terms of like the cost they paid for him and then handing out a max contract so they didn't lose both Jimmy and Tobias was also a mistake false is kind of again like one of those things where you can't really do much. You can't really blame the Sixers because how can you predict that? Yeah. Um but I, I think it's possible. I think there's no way to build around a center without a at least a maybe not like a top 10 guy, but you need at least a top 25 perimeter guy on the team. Um because as much as as good as Embiid and are, or and even Bam to a lesser extent, they it's very difficult when When playoff time comes, if you need someone to create a shot for you, it's very difficult to rely on a guy who has speed limitations and size limitations to kind of generate that shot quickly. Um and when you do and and you could say, yeah, Jokic has his passing ability, which which is great, but at at a certain point you also need a guy who's willing to take the shot. And you notice that the, the the year the nuggets got farthest was in the bubble, and that was when Jamal Murray went off. Um, the two years that they didn't have Jamal Murray or an elite perimeter creator around Jokic, uh, they struggled to leave, get out of the second round. So, I think it's possible. I think it's it's not the most efficient use of resources or or the best way to to build your roster. I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's similar to building around any other player. Well, you probably don't need to win a championship. You probably don't need close to two top ten or top twelve players. Uh, that's I think that kind of the easiest way to become a contender. I think there'll other examples like the Bucks probably don't have that, but then they probably have like three top twenty five players instead. But so Yeah,
1: and the Bucks are interesting because uh the Bucks have Giannis obviously, but they also have Brooke Lopez who's yeah. if we think about it, probably like a top seven center, maybe even pushing top five. Yeah. And it's hard to it's hard to ignore the fact that if you look at the champions of the past decade, right, Miami had Chris Bosh in the post, uh, Dallas had Dirk, uh, the Bucks had Giannis, um, the Warriors had Draymond, and to a lesser extent, KD, like, it, it's very hard to win without having an elite post guy um, in, in your lineup to some extent.
0: Yeah, and, uh, I mean, Book Lopez had kind of a into interesting- a guy in this conversation. The other reason why I wanted to have you on is to, to talk about, like, the state of bigs in the NBA. I feel, I feel like it's one interesting spot. I feel like there are a lot of really skilled bigs, a lot of bigs that seem to do really well in the regular season and struggle in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. almost to the point where, like, with Gobeo, for example, who would maybe the third-best channel in the NBA behind Embiid and Jokic for the majority of the past three or four years. But people say in the playoffs, whether you agree with it or not, it's a common narrative that he gets played off the floor. And Brook Lopez is kind of an interesting guy in there because he's almost like the perfect channel to put next to your star because he can protect the rim, and then on offense, he can shoot threes. So he's not mm-hmm. like crowding the paint like Gobert would on offense. The Giannis is kind of another interesting, him and this like Jalen Jackson Jr., Evan Mobley, who I think they're still considered bigs, but they play next to another big most of the time, and mm-hmm. they have kind of this twin-tower look going. The Outside of Embiid and Jokic, and I'll throw Bam in there too, The how do you think teams, if you can't get one of those three guys, how do you think a team should handle their starting center position or do you think that they should just bring in this guy that can protect the rim that may or may not be on the floor at the end of the game in the playoff? Do you think they should still prioritize a guy that can play offense at a high level? The How do you think, like, if you're a team that is pretty much not the 76 or the Nuggets or the Heat right now, mm-hmm. how do you think that ideally the Shano position would work out for them?
1: So I, I think it's a highly contextual question, right? Like you, there's no one answer to give, right? It's not like, I don't think you can treat centers like running backs where you don't give them any contract after the first contract because you can just kind of plug someone in. Because realistically, if you look at the pool, like the talent pool of people who are around seven feet who can provide the ability you need, it's just a very small talent pool who can compete at an NBA level. So I I think you do need a center in terms of like I I don't think it, it's one of those positions you can not value. Um, in terms of building around centers, I think you have to be aware of your limitations of your guys, right? Like I, I think Minnesota, for example, really grossly overestimated uh Cat's ability to hang out hang with fours, right? And it's really showing because. Cat is still right around his numbers, but he's just getting smoked by fours. And Rudy's not providing you any offense. So now you're struggling at two positions because one position can't defend and one position can't provide, provide any offense. Um, and kind of have the counter to that, like in a, in a Cleveland where you have Jared Allen starting at center and you have Mobley starting at power forward and that works because Jared Allen isn't necessarily like a hole on either end, right? He's, he's probably above average on both sides of the court and it kind of lets Mobley do his, his own thing um, in terms of of letting him operate. Um, I, I think you need to have a realistic evaluation of, of what your center is, right? Like if you realize that your center is a one-way center, for example, a defensive center, then it would probably make sense to pair him with an offensive guy, in which case, if that's the case, I would not pair him with another center. You're probably better off getting a high end for maybe like a Tobias Harris or, or whatever, right? If you're uh, a center who's offensively geared, like a like a Bam, um, who's able to make those passes but also go on defense, I think you have a little bit more creativity available there where you can kind of put him next to a center because you're not limited there, but again, you kind of have to evaluate his ability to defend at whatever spot you're going to put him at, right? like Mobley is, is a good example because you can evaluate him and say, hey, this guy can obviously hang with fours. He can hang with fives. We can do a bunch of stuff with him where he can play next to a center, or we can go small and have him at center. Cat, um, I, I just don't think there was enough enough uh, like research or maybe just not a correct evaluation done there where I guess I guess they thought they could hang with Cat the four and it coincided right with, with Gobert kind of taking taking a step down. And I think it's gonna look bad, but um ideally I, I don't think I know there's like a few examples of, of two centers or two bigs playing on on us in a certain lineup. I'm not the biggest fan of, of those of those lineups. I I just I think they're very hard to to kind of make work, right? Like you're very lucky in terms of Cleveland and, and Memphis being able to get those guys, because those guys are, are more unicorns. Um, I, I, I would, if you're going to build a team, I wouldn't make that like your first Avenue. Like I'm going to have two big guys start in my lineup.
0: Yeah. And we've been seeing with Cleveland the past few weeks, they've been one of the worst offensive in the NBA. And I think that's it up with jaw them playing we and Allen together for so many minutes is, they will have an elite defense, and then they obviously have Garland and Mitchell to help carry the load offensively. But I think playing them both out there together does kind of put a ceiling on how good your offense can be. The, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think Cleveland's in a unique spot because I think personally Donovan Mitchell's probably best position is actually point guard. Yeah. And it's a little bit tough for them because Darius Garland is probably one of the top ten point guards in the league at this point and probably pushing towards that top five. Um, I guess, slotting, and you kind of in a pickle because Garland's a decent defender. Mitchell is not a good defender. Uh, you kind of have a mystery at the three, whether you're going to play Okoro or whoever, because you're kind of trying different pieces out. Um, and then the four and five, you kind of have pretty limited ability in terms of you can't really stretch the floor with Mobley in terms of a consistent three-point shooter. So now you're looking at essentially what three positions that aren't providing you great spacing. Yep. Um, so it's a little bit tough. Uh, I think ideally what I would have recommended before the season started was just coughing up the picks to trade for Harrison Barnes and then putting him at the three. Um, I, I don't think that's a possibility anymore, but um, I, I think they're in a little bit of a tough spot because they don't really have a three that spaces the floor for them,
0: yeah. Yeah, the, I agree with you. I always thought Mitchell was best for this in point guard. I actually would, in Utah's situation, I actually, I feel like people saying that they tried everything. I actually would have liked to see a year where they put Mitchell at point guard, kept Gobert at center, and move Mike Conley and try to get a wing for him and play Mitchell essentially three wing players, maybe a power forward, and then Gobert at center. I think what I that come back to is, I think you need versatility on defense in the playoffs. I think you need to be able to run different teams. I think you're going to play a matchup where the best way to defend them is to the switch. And you don't play – you probably don't have a matchup where the best way to defend them is by playing at the level of the screen or by dropping. So I think you kind of – I, this is really kind of interesting with me with Jokic and Embiid is the – do you think that those guys – and I know that you have strong opinion on Pope Jokic and Embiid, but the, do you think that you can – do you think that's not true? Do you think you can play at the level of the screen and drop and win a championship playing that level of defense? Do you think at some point you are you do have to switch? And do you think Embiid – I'm going to use Embiid mostly – um, do you think Embiid could play an entire series where they are switching everything? you know or do you think that they don't need to do that to win a championship
1: um so i guess there's there's two questions there right um do i think a team can win switching 1 to 5 at at a center position i don't think so i think you can switch in stretches i don't think it's a feasible defensive pattern if you're putting out a big center there right like it works for Draymond because Draymond's only like 68 69 and that's probably a generous a height for him um but i think when you're putting out like big lumbering centers like Embiid and Jokic as good as they are it, it's very hard for you to keep up to a, with a Steph Curry and i think Embiid probably fares better on a switch than than Jokic would um but even i even i think uh, this week he's talked about how he prefers to play drop and that he likes to play quarterback of the defense more, where he can kind of tell, like, if he sees a switch coming, he can kind of coordinate, like, and tell James, hey, James, you need to switch with Max here or, or whatever. Um, and I, I think it's evident, like, that's evident, like, if you look at both of those guys, right? Like, last year, uh, when they started switching everything, um, Embiid had a pretty tough time in the, in the Toronto series before he got hurt with switching, because Toronto was putting out five, six six to six eight guys who are all like really fast and then he was getting at one point he was switching on to OG and then he was switching on to Precious and it's hard to keep up and Jokic just has the the, the trouble of he plays in in a conference where the, the elite teams are, are backcourt tripping right you have Booker and Phoenix and and I guess CP3 in Phoenix what, however you feel about that guy um you have Steph and, and Poole or Clay or whoever in, in Golden State. Um to a certain extent, it, if you switch on to Russ uh for Jokic, like that's that's an issue because even though Russ can't shoot, he's still he's still like kind of killing you on the speed end. Um Luca, like a, a lot of the teams in the in the Western conference are are backward driven. So when you switch and you kind of give them a defensive advantage there um you're kind of feeding into them so i i think you're probably not ideally suited for a switch in in a playoff series with that being said i think you can win i don't think i think maybe it works in in uh imitation right like we see golden state win four or go to five uh finals and you try to imitate the way they're structured and i think We've gotten to a point where uh, we are underrating, underrating how good Draymond is defensively. I think people look at Draymond and are like, oh, like, well, he's Mr. Triple Single. Like Draymond, at the end of the day, is still either one of the greatest or the greatest defender from for his size at the in a in a for a post player. Um, with that being said, if you're going to play drop you can't be running out lineups like the Sixers and the Nuggets are doing. I think, like I'm looking at lineups physics right now. And when you have uh, both uh, Harden and Maxi in the lineup, you're looking at a net rating of 5.2. When you take out uh, Maxi and you put in Melton, you're looking at a net rating of 16.4. And when you take out Harden and you put in Maxi, you're looking at a net rating of 34.7. So like it's clear that when you have these weak links in your lineups defensively and you're playing drop, it becomes incredibly hard because if your guards aren't able to switch or, or even your three and four aren't able to switch, it becomes harder. Um, you could say the same thing for Denver. Denver obviously has Aaron Gordon, who's a plus defender, but other than that, is is anyone in that lineup really putting in really above average defense? I've seen Jamal Murray a couple times since post-injury, but – he still doesn't seem like he still, like seems like he's getting his legs underneath him, which I fully expect. And maybe he will be back to a plus or at least an above average defender. But it's hard to kind of have Jokic back there, who's not like not the best defender, and then kind of have a turnstile in a PJ. Uh you have Caldwell Pope and you have Aaron Gordon, but it's not it's not the ideal lineup for for a guy who's who's lacking there. Um it I think it, it's 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 possible to, to to win with drop. I think you just have to make sure your lineup is is suited to kind of make up for drop protection.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think with Embiid and Jokic, is a lot more interesting of a question to talk about if their supporting cash is good enough. Then I feel like a lot of times, and I know that's kind of how it did with the media, when the Nuggets and the 76ers, when they get eliminated by the playoff, I feel like a lot of it is can you win with Embiid or Jokic? And I get that's how the media is, but I think it's a lot more interesting to talk about the supporting cast. Do do the Nuggets have enough defenders to help Jokic on defense? Do the 76ers have enough criminal defense, or do they have enough offense also outside of Embiid? I think those are kind of the more interesting questions. I think Embiid and Jokic are definitely good enough to win a championship. Me – and Mikey did the Batman pod where we listed all the players we thought could be the best player on our champion team. We each had Embiid, we each had Jokic. I think the vast majority of NBA fans would, and people that cover the sport would have Embiid and Yokis on their list for that. Um, One of the other questions I kind of had is, outside of Embiid and Jokic and I'm gonna kind of add Bam in there. I think mean, he kind of the clear cut third guy right now. I'll try to go to three. What other channels do you think? Would you, if you can't get one of those three guides, mm-hmm. I'm asking for specific name this time. Who would you try to target? Who are some? Do you think? are some of the shadows that stand out to you besides those three guides.
1: Um, the first name in terms of. I guess I'll I'll preface the preface this by uh saying uh I'm not really a Minnesota center guy I'm not a big cat guy I'm not a big Gobert Co- guy so um hard first...
0: it's hard to be one it's hard to stand football for those guide right now <laughs>
1: yeah so um I think the first name that comes to mind whether or not you consider him a center is probably Anthony Davis um obviously the issue with Davis is even to a higher degree than Embiid is, can he at this point play a full season? Because it certainly seems like he can't, right? It certainly seems like uh, his body just breaks down. It's not built to to play 82 games. Um, so outside of AD, uh, I really like how, how Sabonis has been playing in in Sacramento. I think Sacramento deserves to be the like surprise or sleeper team of the season. I think they've been playing well. I think a large part of that is Sabonis because uh Darren Fox has kind of been up and down lately, but Sabonis has been their guy. Um and even he got into uh foul trouble early against Embiid. But even with that he he put up a really good good game. Um I am not a DeAndre Aiden guy. I think he's a little bit too limited for Phoenix to be able to win with that kind of center. And I think you're going to see Phoenix kind of struggle once the playoffs come around because uh, Chris Paul is kind of at the point where maybe he's an average starting guard, maybe he's a little bit above, maybe he's a little bit below, but he's definitely not like the sidekick or the main guy that you need for Booker. Um, mccal is obviously a great player, but again, not offensively a, a sidekick. And then you have the question of Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, Sarge, whoever you're putting at the four. Um, I really like the way, or I guess early on, earlier on the season, uh, Jared Allen was playing, uh, Jared Allen, I guess, good two way guy. Um, but I, I guess the, the biggest, the, I guess the, the main name that kind of really pops out to me is uh Brook lopez and, and i know we have talked about him earlier and i know he's not leaving milwaukee anytime soon um but to get a guy that can hit the three is a above average rim protector um pairs well with Giannis, and it's it's honestly watching Brook lopez amazes me because he was not he was never this player right like when he started his career in Brook in uh New Jersey, he was never this guy. He was really kind of geared more like an Embiid where he was even not even lesser so because Embiid still has the three, but even Lopez was kind of dominating the post and really a post guy. And he kind of jumped around the league. And then as the three point revolution kind of kicked off, he kind of reinvented himself. But he stayed he stayed as like a, a positive or or Better good good to above average defender. Um, so he's one guy I look at. Um other than that, I mean, there's there's a bunch of young guys I'm interested in seeing. I, I think Time Lord uh is is a good guy um to look at. Again, the same issue with AD kind of hops up with Time Lord, even I guess to a greater extent, which is Time Lord is obviously lesser talented than than AD is. And I think the whole thing with Time Lord kind of kind of go, going into the draft was that he had a limited time span that he could play. And I think with the injuries that have already happened, I think you kind of question, will he be able to play out of this contract? Will he be able to get a second or third contract, I guess? Um, so there's an issue there. Other than that, I mean, there's a real, I like guess, Darth of like, really good two-way centers and you have a lot of guys at the four that can play the five that I like like you have Mobley you have JJJ um, you have uh, guys like vets like PJ Tucker who could do them in a pinch Draymond um, but in terms of the guys I, I, I think have been doing really well this season from a pure five perspective I would probably say uh, Brooke Lopez, Sabonis, and uh, before you he got her AD
0: uh, yeah I agree yeah time Lord he having a hard time staying healthy the ad I honestly probably should have mentioned him with uh Jokis and Embiid and bam um I guess in my head I still am kind of considering him a powerful but he had played his majority channel this year when he'd been out there mm-hmm. um book Lopez, I think he'd I think he'd write exactly what you want and maybe Miles Tornard kind of but not all kind of similar build I don't think he'd add good rebounding uh it's kind of concerning to me it, it if your team can't hold up on the boards but he can shoot and he can protect the rim i think that's kind of what you're looking for and i think overall is good versatility i think you want your center or you want to give yourself flexibility within your lineups to play any kind of defense and yeah, I think it's we're just in a very interesting stage. Like I said, we have teams like the Toronto Raptors and even the Clippers to an extent, that are almost annoying the channel position, almost not playing the channel at all when it's really mattered. You have teams like the Board and the Timberwolves going after kind of an orange door channel at the very end, very 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 end of their prime, and then they take a big step back and kind of totally mess up where those two teams were going and made both of those trade look really bad. But yeah, I mean yeah, I,
1: I think from a like a Toronto point of view, um I think Toronto is probably the team I, I see as most likely making a trade. I think Chicago probably makes a trade either at the deadline or in the off season however they see fit. Um I think I think Scotty Barnes hasn't really taken the leap that Masai and, and the Raptors thought he would. And I think looking at that and looking at the rest of their roster, I think it, it it's kind of making their roster construction a little bit weird. I think they kind of expected him, like Sixers fan did did with Ben Simmons, to take that leap in terms of being a better offensive player. Um, So I, I think you'll see a trade there. I think you'll probably see the Clippers do something. I, I, I just don't the Clippers obviously the main issue is that Kawhi and PG just can't stay healthy. Um, but even when they're healthy, they just don't have any guys that cause you don't really want Kawhi playing the four at this point, just because of how much more physically grueling it'll be on him. Um, and Zubac has been, has been Zubac has been great. Uh, but at some point I think they need another four or maybe, maybe a backup five. Um, I think for guys that have performed well, I, I think Portland is probably over the moon with how Jeremy Grant is playing. I think he's been probably one of the moves of the offseason. I think uh, in terms of other guys that are, are playing, uh, I think Mo Wagner has been playing his ass off in, in Orlando. Um, and he can probably be able to be switched 3-4 and maybe if you really want to go small 5. Obviously, Zion has been playing his butt off in New Orleans. Um, who I still think is probably are probably better off just moving Zion to the five and playing small ball. Um, but again, you have a similar problem with with his injury history to like you don't want to put him in, in a spot where he's grueling. Um, I do think there are some teams that need to make a trade and won't make a trade. I think Dallas probably doesn't really have anything to offer teams to get the guy that they need. Um, I think that roster was pretty. Hastily assembled in terms of letting Brunson go and not paying him, and kind of letting Luca cook. Um, and I think that's going to end up costing them because I think, I think, and people are going to get mad at this. I think Luca plays a lot like Harden did in Houston. Uh, I think Luca is obviously better than Harden was in Houston in terms of playoff performance. But when you play a heliocentric offense and and kind of build your team around the type of guy, I think it's very hard for him to not get tired because you're obviously need to play him a lot to get into like a certain seed and then you get to the playoffs and it's just very hard when teams focus in on that one guy and then you're kind of shit out of luck because the rest of your roster can't stack up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think definitely a lot of different team building going on right now, a lot of different ideas, especially around the channel position and yeah, Shaheel, I think this has been a really good talk. The uh, I think the I think we're all maybe too soon to put Cleveland as the third best team in the East. I'm not mm-hmm. ready to put Philadelphia lower than three honestly, the way they've been playing with all the options they have. The uh, so hopefully I will, I
1: will, yeah. One last thing on on Philly is that uh, I would encourage anyone who hasn't seen Philly this year to watch Philly play either tonight or maybe in the next week or two uh and steve and mikey and everyone knows i've been really hard on the harden trade i'm, I'm not the biggest fan i think they were probably better off if the haliburton trade was on the table to just to have taken that trade um harden has really really been i think uh, very much like a, a team player in a sense since he's he's been back he's uh he's very much uh i think when when they first came together, Harden and Embiid were kind of trying to go for the, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, and I think Harden has kind of slowly realized like he just doesn't have it anymore, and I think he realized that okay like I'm um, maybe a top thirty player, and Embiid at this point is probably a top five player, and I just need to defer to him as much as possible, so you'll see um a lot of a lot of adjustment from Harden's end. Um, in terms of how he plays, it's it's not a lot of at least the past week he's, since he's been back with Embiid, it's a lot less of dribble, 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 pass, last second, and and shot. Um, he's been a lot of been doing like a lot of what I call YMCA tricks where it's he's he knows he's not as fast anymore, so he's kind of using his body, um, his weight and his size to kind of bully other smaller point guards. Um, whether or not. That lasts um, kind of. In, you see Embiid adjusting with like taking more lobs and stuff like that. Whether or not that lasts with Maxi coming in and how they deal with Maxi coming back, who I, at this point, I believe he's probably not coming back for the All Star game. So you yeah. have some time to figure it out. But um, I, I think that they'll be better than they were, whether or not they're good enough to overcome the fact that they're playing two fours in a starting lineup next to Embiid. And PJ Tucker seems pretty washed at this point. Um, that's another issue, but they have been better lately.
0: Yeah, so thanks, Shaheel. the. Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a good talk.
1: Thanks, guys.